1: To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Revival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. And Katie, we have fan mail.
2: We have fan mail? That's awesome.
1: So we love when you guys send us feedback. We love when we hear from you guys. And there's a couple that we really want to point out today today. Uh, The first is an email that I received from Ben Feynman, and he is a student, a first-year student, and we had actually met him when we were at the Evolution of Psychotherapy conference. And what Ben said is, your recent podcast episode on deliberate practice left me inspired and compelled me to write to you. My first year of school, the curriculum is enjoyable, but it doesn't seem to answer an important question, how do I become and remain an effective therapist? feel that these episodes on deliberate practice helped shine a light on the answers to that question. In a sense, it helps unify some separate bits of information that I've come across in my early forays into the world of psychology. Since you practice in the Los Angeles area, he's talking to me, I was hoping that you wouldn't mind giving me some advice. I'll be applying to practicum sites in the near future. Can you offer any insight as to how I can best locate sites that encourage and help cultivate habits of deliberate practice? Perhaps that simply falls under the category of good supervision, but I am so encouraged by the message of your podcast that I can't help but get excited at the possibility of learning under somebody who shares these beliefs. I would also like to extend a heartfelt thank you to you and Katie for your work on the podcast. I know first-year grad students aren't necessarily your target audience, which you totally are. Yeah, totally. But the podcast has been wonderfully useful in helping me to understand what awaits me as a clinician and a member of the mental health profession. Keep up the good work. Warm regards, Ben Feynman.
2: I love that.
1: I do too. Ben, thank you. It makes me you. so happy. It does. And really, you know, our target is all therapists who want to continue to work on improving themselves and, and continue to building in their practice. And I think that this goes really well with a message that we got on our Facebook page from Carrie Witta, and this was after our episode on supervision. And Carrie had said, thank you, Katie and Kurt, for this podcast. I'm currently a first year MFT student. And I'm beginning the search for a traineeship. I've heard both that good supervision is critical and also that supervision for trainees is luck of the draw and that we should seek to find the good in whatever supervisor we get instead of looking for good supervision as we look for field sites. I was wondering if I could get your perspective on that. What could I ask during field site interviews to better understand a site supervision models or approaches?
2: Rather than kind of keep reading, I want to just say that I love having those conversations in our Facebook group and in our page. So if you're Hearing something that resonates, if you're having a, a reaction, please, please shoot us an email, join the Facebook group and in the conversation we're having there. And I won't call her out, but there's an amazing person who sends me lots of snarky, wonderful topics for podcasts as well as responses, and it keeps us going. So whether it's good, that's fun, it's humorous, it's snarky, whatever, whatever you want, we definitely want to hear about it. But given these two specific uh, responses to our deliberate practice episode, as well as the giving and getting good supervision episode, we wanted to dig deeper into how do you have a, a really good experience during your clinical supervision years. And obviously, if you've listened to our deliberate practice episodes, we're also talking about continuing that past licensure. But it's especially critical when you're looking for a practicum site or you're looking for your first internship or associateship site uh, after grad school that you get the best supervision that you can, or you make the most out of it with whatever supervisor you're assigned. So I think the, the best place to start, and certainly, Kurt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is really talking about in the ideal situation, how do you find the best supervisor?
1: Well, as we've talked about in the deliberate practice episodes, this is something that can really happen at any point in your career. I think that it's something that is most often faced by people during their traineeships or their associateships or internships, depending on what it's called, where you are. And probably the most relevant is when you are seeking things out. And I know that developmentally as a therapist, that when you're looking for that very first traineeship, there's a lot that you don't know about what you don't know about the entire process. Absolutely. And a lot of the questions that are going to seem super relevant when you're looking for that first placement are not going to be as relevant three or four supervision sessions in when you know where to put the Kleenex box or you know (laughs) how to open the door and go into the waiting room and ask for a new client to come in. That's something that comes very, very easily, those very structured things. What you really want to focus on is looking at what that continued relationship is going to be. And this is the importance of asking how supervisors work. And if you are really in kind of those structural type interview situations, a really good question to ask is, if I present a case like this and give a three or four sentence case, ask how the supervisor would respond to that, how they would guide you. If it's something that feels like it's a good fit for you from that kind of an idea, if it's a structured sort of idea or coming from a working model of supervision that the supervisor is responding to you with, that's probably a pretty good sign that that might be somebody that you work well
2: with. I agree. I think that oftentimes, even thinking of a case that you could present or that kind of stuff could could in some ways be a little daunting for folks. And I think definitely come prepared with that. But even just saying, how do you structure supervision? What does supervision look like? for your supervisees, I think can give you a good sense of how thoughtful they are, how deliberate they are with the supervision hour.
1: That's just it. Is So much of what we talk about through all of the episodes that we've mentioned already, and really hopefully an underlying theme of the show overall, is that we do things deliberately. We have a plan with what we're doing, and your supervisor should also have a plan for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It should not be a necessarily every week, everybody just comes in and spews cases out for 15 minutes each, and then you wait for the extra hour 45 to get done, that (laughs) there should be some sort of idea of, I will create space for you to bring up cases that need to be discussed, and we'll touch on all of your cases, but I also want to provide time where I'm teaching you new skills during each of our supervision sessions.
2: Yeah, I think oftentimes, even more so than kind of the case presentation rotation, I've seen a lot of group supervision, but even individual supervision kind of devolve into venting or just really processing how overwhelmed somebody's feeling, and I think being able to know that the supervisor is going to take the reins in that situation and make sure that it's a productive hour or two hours if it's group supervision is really important. Because I think too often supervisees, although we're going to talk about how to, how they should prepare for the supervision time, I think. They're coming wanting to learn, and so knowing that your supervisor is going to take charge of that is really important. And what you're talking about is the different aspects of supervision, and the way that I define them is there's the the clinical, you know, making sure that there's clinical case conceptualizations, looking at interventions, that kind of stuff. There's oftentimes some sort of logistics, so in a community mental health environment that's like productivity and scheduling and timeliness of documentation for Private practice, productivity looks more like, you know, marketing and making sure that you're getting enough clients in and that kind of stuff. But there's also this other piece, which you really started touching on, which is this professional development, training on specific types of tasks, even the professional development piece of your career trajectory and how you're going to get the skills and the experience that are going to move you forward as a clinician all the way through.
1: A great question to ask when you're looking at somebody for a supervisor or a consultation is if we have an hour or if we have two hours booked and the case presentation rotation only takes an hour and a half, what do you do with the rest of the time? It's a really good opportunity to see supervisors who are very, very well prepared won't let you leave early. (laughs) And even
2: if everybody's exhausted.
1: Even if everybody's exhausted. And this isn't to say that there isn't a place in supervision for some of that venting that Katie was talking about. In fact, I think that it's a healthy part of dealing with countertransference.
2: Well, for sure. It's just if the whole thing is venting.
1: Exactly. And this is some of the best supervision that I've ever provided has come during some of that unstructured time that allows for us to deliberately practice, deliberately role play some things And some of the reviews of my supervision was the best thing that Kurt ever did in our supervision was he didn't let us leave early. (laughs) And and this allowed for us to actually end up deeper into cases because this is a a good use of that therapeutic silence of allowing some of that awkwardness to develop until somebody cracks and talks. (laughs) But it's when you're kind of sitting there and it's like, well, I, I guess I can talk about this thing that... Then allows for more questions to be asked, and how you 're looking at it and how you can look at it from different perspectives
2: yeah i agree i don 't i, I wasn 't talking specifically about unstructured time. I actually really like unstructured time because it, there's a lot more chance to process, especially in a group supervision setting where people can then really dig in a little bit deeper, talk about the group dynamics itself, it can talk about professional development it, there can be a, a conversation about. Uh, deeper clinical things, countertransference, all those pieces. No, I was talking really about kind of the venting and the kind of just being humans together in the room. I think that needs to be present. But just to give you some reference, my first group supervisor would sit down in group supervision and say, I don't want to talk about psychology. Who's seen any good movies? And it was something where he was in some ways joking. But I think he really was burned out. And, and part of that was, let's connect, which I think is important to build rapport in a group supervision. But there wasn't a deliberateness to how are each of you growing as individuals, as therapists, as members of this group. It was like, eh, I don't want to do anything. Let's just talk about movies. <laughs>
1: to me, it seems just so mind boggling from the way that I practiced as a group supervisor, that my very first group supervision of the year largely reflected the same type of structure that a therapy session with me would look. It was really kind of outlining what the boundaries of supervision are, what the ground rules of the room are, talking about even confidentiality within the group, and having a plan for not only that session, but also several sessions ahead of time as far as what the structure might be. Thryster is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end to end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their coinsurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf.
0: They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thriser.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.
2: I I think, I think also setting goals for each person individually, as well as the group overall.
1: And this is something where the supervisor and you should both have goals for the individual supervision sessions and the larger supervision relationship that you have, that each supervision session should start with something of what's most important for you to talk about today, kind of get those Mm -hmm. crises of the week addressed, but then to be able to look more specifically at development of deepening relationships with your clients or looking at different aspects of the longer-term clients that you might be working with as a part of their treatment plan or adjusting treatment plans and really spending the time focusing on working with the clients that you are encouraged to do as a good therapist.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important because I know that oftentimes, especially in, in public mental health, the supervision hours, if they're not structured well, can end up being conversations on crisis and then how do I meet productivity and get my paperwork done? And so I think that being able to know that good supervision looks like, even if everything's on fire, that you still have some moments from professional development, that you still have moments to talk about cases that aren't as hot and crisis-focused all the time, that you have, as best to, to your ability, found someone that can can do that for you, I think is important. I think it seems more likely to me, Kurt, that somebody could find a really skilled supervisor, when they're moving into more of a private practice setting, they can hopefully be a little bit more selective. I know for myself, when I was interviewing folks for public mental health or agency jobs, they would interview with me, but I would assign them a supervisor. So they didn't necessarily get the sense of what the individual supervisor was gonna be. It was more about the dynamic and the, the focus of the division, but it wasn't. they couldn't choose their individual supervisor. So before we move on to kind of how to make the best of it, if you're assigned somebody that you didn't choose, is there anything else that you think that we should make sure to say about finding the best supervisor you can when you have that opportunity?
1: I think it's important to ask about their previous experience in supervising people, that it's something like, what kind of mistakes do you see your supervisees making in this setting? And how did you address them? Mm -hmm. How did you see the growth of supervisees who've worked with you before? And to really look at what their past experiences of supervision have been. So that way you can make a pretty educated guess of what your relationship is going to be.
2: And I think that's something to assess in the room as well. If you're actually sitting down with a supervisor, see how you resonate and and connect. I was going to say like how you vibe. You know, I think it's important that this is somebody that's going to have a huge impact on your learning, on your experience, on your day-to-day job. And so Even if somebody seems like they would be amazing supervisor, if you just don't like their jokes, like don't choose them.
1: Right. And (laughs) and this is really something, and I mentioned this in in our supervision episode, but one of the things that I look for first and above almost anything else when I'm hiring a supervisee is, can I stand this person for the next four (laughs) or five years?
2: And that's a big ask.
1: It, It really is. Because the second question is, can this person stand me for the next four or five years?
2: And that's, that's, I think, actually the bigger ask. You're, you're <laughs> quite a handful, Kurt.
1: <laughs> but, you know, call it that vibe, call it whatever, is that you might think that you are going to work with somebody who is fantastic. They have the right resume. They are very well known. They have a good reputation. But they may actually be somebody who's kind of a questionable character. And if we're mm. really pulling recent events out of the news, there's a lot of stuff about Bessel van right now.
2: Oh my gosh. Bessel van der Kolk. That was surprising.
1: So this is something where the resume is there, the reputation's there, but allegedly- Apparently he was
2: bullying people.
1: Right. So don't feel like if that vibe isn't working for you, that there is a certain level of trust in your gut on how well you are going to be able to continue working with somebody.
2: Yeah, I think that's good. And so in the best of circumstances, all of that's taken into consideration. The job's there, and you're able to work with somebody who's gonna nurture you, who's going to challenge you, that who's going to to structure the supervision in a way that you're gonna get the most out of it. But let's go to the flip side. Let's go to to, you know, whether it's a practicum site or an agency, someplace where you're not actually able to choose who your supervisor is, but rather that person is assigned. I think it's important to make the best of each situation. And, and I've had in my career, a lot of supervisors, I've had a lot of mentors and coaches. Like there's been a lot of people who I've learned from and even the ones that I had the hardest relationships with, I've learned from. And so the first thing is don't despair, you know, don't settle when you have the choice, but don't despair if you're assigned somebody that is not quite what you wanted, you can still get something from it. And, I, and we want to talk a little bit about how to do that
1: and this is kind of that luck of the draw sort of thing that Carrie mentioned in her Facebook comment is, yeah, some people are going to end up in that situation or a supervisor that you did sign on to work with retires or moves on themselves. And you're now in an agency where somebody else is coming in. The supervisory relationship is two-way. While the supervisor has the experience and hopefully the understanding and the ability to teach within that supervisory relationship, it's also one that's informed from both directions. And and I think that there's a lot of people who are trainees or associates or interns or even earlier career type therapists who feel that that power differential is too much to overcome. And this is something where I really do encourage whoever is the supervisee in these situations, to speak about what their process in the supervision room is, to really even focus on that as almost a parallel process of where the supervisee is developing. And what I mean by that is some of the dynamics that come up in the room almost need to be labeled as they're happening, much like you would do as a therapist with a client
2: Yeah, maybe not a a new therapist with a client because I think labeling stuff in the room is a little bit more advanced, but I understand what you're saying.
1: So to be able to talk about the dynamics that happen in the relationship, either as they're happening or being able to reflect back on, hey, last supervision session when you did this or when you said that, that didn't really feel respectful to me or I'm wondering where that came from or... I, I, I need, need help more, in the understanding. Yeah, I don't
2: understand it well. I think that, that's that's really a good point because I think oftentimes, especially when people are, are new, that power differential does feel pretty overwhelming to them. And so I think it's a supervisor's responsibility to open the space for that, but I think it's also the supervisee's responsibility to do whatever they can to make that a part of the conversation as well.
1: And when you really think about it, you've invested... Tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into your education to be in this situation. Supervision is a space for you to be learning. Why not advocate for yourself? That at this point in time, you are really invested into this profession. And where I see a lot of supervisees or interns or pre-licensees burning out is that they don't feel support. They don't feel the empowerment to be able to continue to develop. After that kind of an investment into themselves.
2: And I think oftentimes there's I mean, I can tell a lot you a lot of reasons why supervisees are not feeling empowered to do it, but I think even when the environment is super fast paced, when there's a huge focus on productivity and documentation and the workload, I think it's important. And I'm I'm gonna call supervisors out on this as well, but supervisees need to take a breath and and do a check-in. I mean, and be deliberate about how am I how am I approaching the work, how am I approaching my clients, how am I approaching my paperwork. I think it's important that each person take responsibility for their own development in that way so that they can then ask for what they need. I think supervisors need to do this and and we are just as subject to feeling disempowered by the system or by, you know, whatever has to happen. And so supervisors can have the same problems. And so the supervisor really is responsible to put that in place. But we can't control our supervisors and we can't control our supervisees. But but what we do have control over is what we put into the room and what we put into the space. And so if, if we can actually have those self-evaluations and those conversations with our supervisors, I think that can really help us in a lot of ways.
1: Speaking of evaluations, that's another question that you can ask. It's how do you evaluate a supervisee's growth across time, and how often do you do it?
2: Mm -hmm. That,
1: Especially for practicum students, those who are still in school, that those evaluations tend to come from the schools towards the end of each academic semester. That can be every six months. It might be every three months, depending on the school that you're in, but it's something that's regularly happening, but it's usually kind of done as a thing for the school, that there's not really a whole lot of thought that a lot of supervisors put into those evaluations. And so this kind of contributes to the problem of therapists thinking that they're better than they are because they don't (laughs) receive enough constructive criticism along the way in order to truly evaluate where they are. You have 20 people all scoring above average or excellent. They're not all above average or excellent, that somewhere in that bell curve, there is the median.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's important.
1: Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered.
0: Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code Modern for two months free.
2: I know that in being a supervisor, it was always important to me, and it continues to be important to me and the people that I consult for, that I open that space to have constructive criticism going both directions to really talk about the development of of the person who I'm supervising or consulting with. And I think that that is something that ideally all people are asking for. But if you have a supervisor that's not giving you the feedback, they're more of a cheerleader, or if they're more Focusing on, you know, there's only negative feedback, but the negative feedback is you're not getting you're not meeting productivity and you're not getting your documentation done. If it's not the type of feedback that's helpful, I really challenge you to ask for that feedback, because sometimes, especially overworked community mental health supervisors may not want to delve into those conversations if they don't know that it's going to be respected. Now, that's not your responsibility. I, I think that's a problem. But if you're in a situation where you really want to be challenged, you really want to be given constructive, in-depth feedback on your work, ask for it. I think a lot of people, a lot of supervisors, if they've got to this for a reason, would feel freed up by that opening to be able to give that feedback.
1: Right. And this is where I had responded to Ben's email and told him that one of the things that you can do as a supervisee is ask for more live supervision that depending on the setting that you're in, it might be a direct observation or if there's still one-way mirror rooms around (laughs) that those can be utilized. But technology has really allowed for us to record yourself in session with client consent and following agency policies if that's where you're at. Mm -hmm. But the more that somebody can look at how you're working in the room, the better that you're going to be able to evaluate yourself and to be able to improve. And if this is not a practice of the agency that you're at or the supervisor that you're with, then it's something that you can encourage to happen.
2: Yeah, I think as long as you follow the instructions and, and you know, obviously you're working under the other person's license, so you wanna talk them through how it'd be most appropriate. But I think recording sessions is kind of a no-brainer in some ways because that's something you can bring into the supervision hour as long as you've done the appropriate consents and your supervisor is game that gives really on the ground you know information for your supervisor to provide feedback I know one thing that was happening when I was still in community mental health that I really liked was that that live supervision and, and you talk about it in the room and you know there's a lot of community based work that's happening and some of the supervisors that I had were pushing back because they didn't necessarily want to do that live supervision in in people's homes it was they were doing field visits with their supervisees and as I started requiring that to really get a sense of how the relationships developing how the supervisee is performing all that kind of stuff it Created such stronger outcomes, the clients felt more taken care of, and the supervisee got much more constructive feedback and then also some of the cases where there was you know some conflict or challenge, and the supervisor was able to provide actual on the ground support in the moment, kind of participating as well in in the session so I think there are opportunities wherever you go to get some more live supervision. Certainly there's role plays that can happen in group supervision. So people can see your skills, make sure that's happening for you. If that's not something that's automatically being provided.
1: And I even at times really tortured my supervisees. Maybe torture (laughs) isn't the right word. Yeah, actually it is. I had them transcribe the sessions and to sit and that
2: is torture,
1: but it's also one of the most phenomenal learning tools that a lot of them still email me back. I remember when you had me transcribe that session, I learned so much because Mm
2: -hmm.
1: to transcribe, you have to listen to yourself over and over and over. And every single um, that you say, you, you really just, you you hate how you sound in a recording anyway, (laughs) but you really start to pick up on the things that you're missing, the things that are happening in the room by forcing yourself to listen to it over and over.
2: And certainly this is something where some of these things you can do on your own and then bring it back to your supervision. Some of these things are things that really need the buy-in from your supervisor, especially if there's going to be stuff that is going into the client space because you're working under their license. You need to make sure that they're on board and they know what you're doing. But I think what this really speaks to is, is taking charge of the supervision, the pieces that you can. And I think that was the thing that I saw for the people who were best at Coming into the supervision hour prepared were the folks who actually had specific questions. They'd framed the you know case conceptualizations with specific questions that they they were looking for feedback on. They had specific topics of, for their professional development and were really open to those conversations. I think certainly I w- I was structuring the supervision hour, but when I had a supervisee who came in with that extra care and not just kind of running in with their hair on fire, but actually had a list of questions to address and who were, were willing to kind of go deep into to those things, they got way more out of it than the ones who were like, I don't know what to talk about today. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's certainly something where preparing in advance is one of the best ways that you can also maximize whatever supervision experience that you have.
1: And to really think about it in terms of if you were a consumer for any other type of service, what would you settle for? Maybe not the DMV. And you're talking
2: about a consumer of supervision.
1: Right. Maybe not the DMV, but if, I mean, that might be like the purgatory of just sitting there and waiting (laughs) for something to happen for a couple of hours, but at least that's only like every few years. With supervision, think of it as how would you want to be treated by a doctor or a dentist or something else where it's, they're coming into the room, they're disorganized. They haven't really done much since the last time that you guys talked, that there's nothing more that they're really offering you. If that's not the type of service that you want, don't settle for that. That This is yeah. really where you have the the power to impact that change.
2: And I think that if you can make an impact within the supervision relationship where you bring your, you, you come prepared, you offer suggestions on ways that you want to learn more deliberately. If you can do that, I think that's great. I think there's also, unfortunately, those situations where you have a supervisor who is more of an administrator who is checking a box. And so I think that I, I still was able to gain from those supervisors, and I sought other types of feedback for clinical training, but some of the stuff that I learned from them was more administrative or what not to do, even sometimes can be a good lesson to learn. But what are your thoughts on that? Because you can't always change supervisors. You can't always, I mean, obviously, if there's unethical or illegal things going on, you've got to advocate and, and stand up. But if it's just, hey, my supervisor's not very good. What do you think people should do with that, Kurt?
1: There's a couple of things that you can do. Probably the easiest one is that you can seek good supervision outside of what's required of you by Mm. your agency. And some agencies are more open to that than others, but you can have outside supervision without violating confidentiality of clients in an agency-type setting or whatever place that you might be working at. Seek out other people who are good. If you're not getting your needs met by your assigned supervisor, it's worth the investment to have somebody continue to supervise you.
0: Especially
2: if you're wanting to learn you know, a specific type of, of technique or if you're wanting to learn about a specific type of client, being able to, to seek out supervision that's in some ways even more educational where it's perspective versus looking at, at client cases, that can be extremely helpful too where it's more role play or clients that are specific to that type of, of treatment or... Or orientation.
1: And then you're not even bound to the people within your your local market either that when you are seeking that kind of outside supervision, it can be from literally anybody in the world that when you are now the consumer, when you're investing that kind of time and money into something, I hope that you want that kind of feedback from somebody who is going to be able to meet your needs in that way.
2: You know, obviously you want to make sure that you're practicing within the bounds of your, you know, professional licensure licensing board. But I think Learning, you can invest in learning, and that is totally above board.
1: The larger scale impact, and this is something that usually moves a little bit more at a glacial pace, is you can impact your licensing boards or the legislation surrounding some of these supervision requirements. And this is something that over the last several years in California has been. A discussion amongst the Board of Behavioral Sciences here of a supervision bill that's going to greatly transform what that supervision requirement process is. And I think that it's going to greatly impact the, the quality of supervision for people who are going to continue to work in that capacity. It's something that it might not necessarily affect you in what your practices are In your day to day life right now, but for the betterment of the profession, these are the kinds of things that you can and should step up and do.
2: Yeah, I think that is a really important place to kind of close out because I think when we're looking at this, if you can, you find the best supervisor possible. If you can't, you make the most out of that supervision. If you still are not getting good supervision, seek out other opportunities, but also, step into advocacy and really hold our profession to task to, to make sure that we're vetting the people who are training the next generation. Because I think it's critical. It's critical that we do this well. It's critical that we continue to learn and grow. If we become bad therapists or if we allow ourselves to, to stagnate into being bad therapists because we basically lost momentum after grad school and have had a whole bunch of bad supervision, our communities suffer. So- being able to find the path to your best supervision, as well as how to improve it for the field, that seems exciting and hopeful.
1: And if you want to see how we do this kind of stuff, obviously keep listening here. But in, engage in our Facebook groups and both the the fan page that you can like for this show, <laughs> or and also the the therapist community group, the Modern Therapist Survival Guide group, that will let you in. We have some of these discussions, but follow along in those groups, and you'll see. Katie and I having posted pictures of our lobbying efforts, both Mm -hmm. in our area here in California, but also in D.C. in some of the greater efforts that we're doing. And please engage with us. Uh, Obviously, we're reading what you're sending us. We'd love to show our support to anybody who is writing to us and with good feedback or not. (laughs) For sure. And you can do that in either of our groups. You can send us emails or you can do that on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. And I'll make a plug once again for our Therapy Reimagined conference that's happening in October 2018 here in Los Angeles, where we're having discussions like this about the betterment of the profession and the betterment of the people in it. So until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thrizer. They are passionate about making out of network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.
0: Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.